Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. We've got quite a few verses to cover, but I'm excited to spend this morning in Genesis 27, uh, primarily in verses 1 through 29. Uh, There's way more verses in this chapter that I would love to cover, but uh, we just don't have a whole lot of time. And I think the first 29 verses are really important for us this morning. You know, in this chapter, God showcases his sovereignty through the lives of broken people. And so he takes the decisions and the actions of broken and sinful people, and he still, in his beautiful um, purposeful providence and sovereignty uses that for his glory and for their own well-being. And so we'll see that this morning. If you remember back in Genesis 25, there were, uh, there were two very important events that had happened in the light uh, of Isaac. In 25, 12 through 34, uh, there was a recording of the birth oracle at the time when Esau and Jacob were birthed. And God told Rebecca that at that time, the elder would serve the younger. It was made clear that God's plan for Jacob to be the covenant head of the household, um, succeeding Isaac in their family. And in that passage also, Jacob gained his birthright from the worldly-minded Esau. So if, you, if, you, um, if it's been a while since you've been in chapter 25, I encourage you to go back and read some of that um, after today. It just kind of gives us a really good groundwork for Genesis 27. But even in the early encounters of the lives of Jacob and Esau, these two brothers, it was clear that God had something very special uh, in view of Jacob. And today I want to see that that oracle, which God had given at the birth of these two sons, that it would be brought to fruition in chapter 27 in one of the most surprising ways possible. One of the most, in my opinion, shocking matters to see how God has worked and is working in the lives of his people, sinful, broken people, to still bring about his redemptive purposes as we have continued seeing through the book of Genesis. And so even when man schemes, and we'll see here that Rebecca, Jacob, uh, Esau, and, and Isaac, in their own scheming ways, God still prevails. God's holy will prevails. And so let's look at Genesis 27, and I'm going to read these 29 verses, hopefully as quick as possible, and then we'll keep going. Genesis 27, starting in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called uh, Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. 
Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. What a comparison. That's interesting. Verse 12, perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me. My son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared this delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the, the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with him in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. God, we are unworthy to even take a breath, and yet you've given us life. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to your character and your divine sovereignty and your redemptive purposes this morning as we look at a very sad and pitiful story in the life of um, your people. And yet, even in the midst of that pity and brokenness, you used it mightily for your glory and for their good. And so I pray that we receive that word this morning, that, that, that people would hear you through me and we would respond in faith. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. It's a sad story, right? It's, it's kind of pitiful. You have four characters um, in uh, Genesis 27, and none of them seem to know what the heck is going on or what they're doing. They're all trying to make things happen on their own apart from the will of God. And I think yet in this chapter... It highlights the grace and the sovereignty of God in our lives. 
in the lives of sinful human beings, the Lord is still in control, amen? His, his divine providence, which is purposeful control, is so in um, action here in Genesis 27 that it should bring us incredible news this morning. Every single major player in this story comes out looking really bad. Whether you're Jacob, Esau, Isaac, or Rebekah, you're not making it out with a clean slate. And their sins are brought to the forefront as, as God reveals it to us here in his word. And, and you know, we, we see that God, and this is for, for our best, that God is so much about his name. He's so much about his glory, and he wants you and I to be a part of that story. Just like with these four characters here, he invites you and I, even in our sinfulness, even in our confusion, God invites you to be a part of his redemptive act here on earth. We don't have to wait to die and then go, and to, go to heaven in order to play a part in his redemptive act here on earth. And so this passage, this chapter, at least these first 29 verses, I've got it broken up into four parts. So if you're taking notes, it, it may be a really good time to, to write some of this down because we're going to be moving really quick and it's going to be kind of systematic, but there's going to be some really good application that we can all take home from this today. So part number one, you have verses one through four. We see Isaac's plan to bless Esau. 5 through 13, Rebecca comes onto the scene and then she tries to see to it that Jacob is blessed on her own volition, out of her own will. 14 through 25, we see Jacob carrying out the plan that Rebecca brought to him after overhearing Isaac. And then the last three verses, we see the fruition of the oracle that God had spoken about in a few chapters earlier, saying that Jacob will be the one to carry out the blessing. That he is next in line uh, in the covenant that I have established with my people. That he would indeed be the one who would carry the covenant as the head of his household. And so section number one, we see here in 27, 1 through 4, um, Isaac's plan to thwart the will of God, essentially, is what we're seeing here. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So we see a sinful human being going before the Lord thinking, oh man, I'm actually going to overthrow the will of God. What a great idea. What an incredible idea to think. And I've been there. The chief sinner of sinners, I've been there where I've thought, man, my plan and my way and the way that I think life should go is far greater than what I believe the Lord's will for my life might be in this season. And so I'm no different than Isaac here in these verses where he wants to appoint Esau as the heir and the head of the covenant. And yet we see, we see the Lord reveal to us their sin here in these first Four verses. 
And I think he's, we're, we're learning something really important here in these first four verses. We learn that God calls us to live by divine revelation rather than mere convention or natural affection. You see in this passage, Isaac, whether he knew of Esau's deal with Jacob in Genesis 25 or not, he certainly knows of the promise of God. He knew about it. He knew what the Lord had sought out to do through this lineage. And yet he thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own thing and overthrow the Lord and, and see what happens. Maybe I'll get lucky. He didn't get lucky. And we see here in this passage, he, he sets out to go directly against the, uh, the will of the Lord and he actually, he acts out of local custom and convention here. You know, it would have been the normal pattern to bless the elder son. And of course, he acted more out of this fatherly affection for his kid. He loves Esau, just like Abraham had loved Ishmael earlier in the book of Genesis. And yet he allows this affection. He allows this, what on the surface looks really kind and sweet, this fatherly affection deep down he was acting out of sinful desire. In fact, his worldly preference of Esau over Jacob blurred his, his sense of, of following and obedience to the father in that moment. And Esau, he's, he's not blameless either. You know, I was reading some people think that, you know, Esau kind of came out of this clean and kind of blameless. But if you read and as we see, there's, there's just no argument for that. Like, he, he's at fault, too. If you don't know much about Esau, I encourage you, uh, the writer of Hebrews spent some time unpacking uh, the story of Esau and then here in Genesis, but we learn uh, a couple of things about Esau in the Bible. You know, he had already despised his birthright. He cared more about food than anything that had uh, eternal, spiritual, everlasting value. He wanted a cup of soup. He cared more about what his, his flesh wanted rather than what his spiritual father wanted. It says here in Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, it says um, that no one uh, be sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Talk about fear in my heart. If there's ever a moment in my life where I can't cry tears of repentance anymore, because my heart is so numb to the things of the Lord that my eyes are so closed off to the things of life and light that when I commit sin, I no longer can cry tears of repentance. They're just tears. No longer would my heart desire to turn away from my sin and turn towards the Lord because I've been uh, so numb and, and pushed away from being able to follow Jesus in obedience and repentance to him. And that's what happened to, to Esau here. 
the author, he, he's assessing the spirituality and tells us that uh, there's something going on in the heart of Esau. And it's, it's not just a passing incident in his life. It's not just a, a one-off moment where he got a cup of soup and gave away a, a certification. No, there was something much deeper going on in the life of Esau. He's, he's a worldly man driven by fleshly passion and desire. And he does not care about the eternal significance and the weight of where he was going to spend the rest of his life. We also see here uh, Esau directly go against the oath that he had taken with Jacob, if you remember back in Genesis 25. You know, he had, he had agreed with his brother to hand over the birthright, and here we see him secretly going behind his back. So he's a liar, he's a deceiver, he's driven by worldly passions, all because he cares more about the um, worldly blessing than anything else. You know, we know from ancient culture around this time of, uh, you know, these, these fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the final oral blessing from the father was often binding in some sort of judicial or legal process of in, you know, in terms of determining, all right, who, who's getting the inheritance? What does that look like? When, when will he receive that? And it was always determined by this oral uh, judicial legal process. And you know, if a son could show that a father had given him this final blessing and that he, you know, it could be attested in some way, the judge would render according to the final blessing of the father. And so if you think about it, this is very significant what's going on here in Genesis 27. They're, they're going again custom, they're going again what was typical in that time of the father handing down the inheritance to his son. There's, there's worldliness going on in the hearts of these men Isaac promises Esau the final blessing in exchange for some venison. Go kill some deer, bring it home, cook it over a fire, and I'll give you whatever you want, son. Does it remind you of anyone else when you hear the story of Isaac saying, hey, go and hunt some game so that I may bless you? Esau had sold his birthright for pottage, and now Isaac is promising the blessing for venison. So it's, it's basically the son seeing what the father does, and then the son acts as what the father had been doing. And it's so important, adults, parents, with kids, like we as Christians are always being watched. Little ones in the room, little ones in kids' ministry, they're watching what their parents do and they're watching what they say. And that's why I'm so convinced that the household, it, it, it must be the most sacred, most worship-filled, most safe place for our families and for our kids as Christians. That they can trust their parents, that they can watch them love each other well and talk about the Lord and sing and worship and forgive and show grace and mercy. Those things translate immensely in the life of a young person. And not only that, but we see Isaac resisting 
the call from God. Isaac's will and senses are set over against the plan of Almighty God in these first four verses. He can't see, he can't hear, he can barely talk, he can barely taste, he's losing his senses. I mean, the man is dying, essentially, and yet he tries to use these things in order to get what he wants rather than what God wants. You see, three of the senses are deceived in this passage. His taste is deceived. He wanted venison. He gets a tasty dish. He doesn't know the difference. Though he prides himself, and man, I really can taste a difference in the food and what's good and what's bad. And yet, even in that moment, he was deceived because he was acting out of line with God's will and decree. His touch is deceived. He's suspicious. He thinks that he identifies Esau with his hands, but again, he gets it wrong. The smell is deceived. Jacob smells like Esau, and he, again, Isaac is suspicious because he prides himself in, man, I've got a great set of nostrils that can point out and sniff anything, and I can tell you exactly what that is because I can't see, therefore I have to rely on what I can see, yeah, taste and smell, but again, all three of those were deceived. And so he's betrayed by his own sense. His plan is spoiled. You know, he, he's going to bless Esau no matter what God has said in his word. And in the end, he fails. We see futility in resisting the decree of God. Indeed, in this passage, we see not only God's decree affected, we see it affected against Isaac and Esau's will to establish their own purposes. So this is not only a picture of God's sovereign, unconditional choosing, it's a picture of God warning us against the counsel of men that if we are to rely solely on the counsel of men, we're never going to make it. He's saying, hey, follow and listen to my decree, to my counsel, because it's everlasting, it's perfect, it's mighty, and it's good for you because it's for my glory. There's a passage in Romans 9. Uh, if you want to turn over there, I think it'll be on the screen. So Paul is talking about this chapter in Genesis in Romans 9, beginning in verse 10. He's talking about the principle that not even, um, not everyone who descended from the line of Abraham is a true Israelite. And he begins, he uses the example of Esau and Jacob. He says, not only this, but there was Rebekah also, verses 10 through 13. He says, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. In this passage, we see Paul laying it all on the line for his readers. He makes it clear that one of the things that God was doing in the life of these twin brothers is that he was showing that his purpose of grace stands not on our actions. Not according to what we deserve, but according 
to his purposes alone. In our sinful actions and in our actions that may seem holy and good and right, that though still look as though they are dirty rags, God needs none of it. But he, he wants us to worship him. He, he wants sinful people to come before him and say, God, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I've come to the end of everything that I have tried and goodness gracious, you are the only way out. Acts 4, another passage that I think is really helpful for us to understand that in the midst of our brokenness and sinfulness, uh, God is in control. God is sovereign and his providence is always over top of us no matter where we're at in this life. Peter is preaching. And then chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, he says, For truly in this city... That were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They wanted to do their own will. They wanted to have their way against the Messiah. If you read in the New Testament, they were all out to get Jesus. They wanted to derail his ministry. And how were they used to do everything that God had predestined to occur? That's what happened in the life of Peter and Paul. That's what's happening here in the life of Isaac and Esau and Jacob and Rebekah. Isaac and Esau had one plan. Jacob and Rebekah had one plan. And it was nowhere even close to being in line with the plan of the Lord. The Shorter Catechism uh, talks about this. It says, what are God's works of providence? I think it says that it, it gives us that beautiful definition that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. And then the Westminster Confession goes even further on providence. It says, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means. That is, even though God rules the world by his decree, he uses means or instruments, sometimes our wills, sometimes our choices, but it goes on to say what? Yet is free to work without. God can work without means. He, he, he doesn't need us to bring about his redemptive purposes in this life, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. He can work directly, indirectly, miraculously if he needs. He can work above. While we're working at one level, he's working at another level. And also it says, against them at his pleasure. And that's exactly what's happening here in Genesis 27. In the midst of these deceivers, in the midst of broken, sinful people who made poor choices to bring about their own will, God still used their sinful acts to bring about his redemptive and glorious purpose for the kingdom. Isaac and Esau, they're working in this direction, and God is using their working in this direction to go into that direction. And at the end of the day, 
And this is good news for you and I this morning, that whether you're, you've had the best week possible or you barely made it in here on two wheels, God is in control of your life. More today, more tomorrow, and forevermore. And that's, that's really good news for us because it takes all the pressure off for us to have to figure it out, for us to white knuckle and wrestle this thing to the ground. No, even in our deepest pain, even in our most confusing state, how incredible is it to know that the God of the universe who is for those um, in his family that will always work for the good of those who love him, isn't it good to know that he's the one in control? That, that he sees all things, knows all things, governs all things. That's the God we serve this morning. Amen? That's the God that knows you and loves you and wants you to trust him this morning. You can't escape it. But we choose to trust in ourselves and we trust to, to choose to lean on our own understanding rather than being ruled by scripture, we are placing ourselves right where Isaac is. It's a dangerous place to be. Verses 5 through 13, Rebecca comes onto the scene and, and her plan begins to unfold to usurp her husband's authority and to gain the blessing of her son. It says here, now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. In this passage, as Christians, the application can be drawn here that we ought to trust the Lord and do what is upright. And how, how do we know what is upright? By reading the word of God. Be in his word. In the morning, in the evening, when you're with your kids, when you're with your spouse, your friends. I, I can't tell you enough how much life I have that overflows out of my heart when I seem to be talking about things that matter. Conversations that matter, getting to know people matters. Your coworkers, being invested in their lives, that matters. That, that actually should charge us and bring us life to know that we are being intentional and loving followers of Jesus who care about people. We're to do what is upright. And sadly, that's not what happened in this, in this passage. Rebecca had the word of God in her own ears. She knew that Jacob was to be the son of blessing, but she tried to sidestep God in acting this way. She never goes to him in prayer. She never goes the way of faith, but instead she tries to take things into her own hands.
Her plot ends up resulting in hatred, dissension, and much more. And it's interesting to me, if you read this chapter, there seems to be a 0% amount of trust in this family. No one trusts anyone. They're all going around each other, deceiving, lying, trying to do it their own way. So there's an integrity problem here. But even more, there's a spiritual problem here. Rebecca doesn't trust in the Lord. She doesn't have faith in the Lord. She doesn't believe that God is in control of her life. And so therefore she says, okay, God, I'm going to do this my own way. I'm going to take this into my own hand and try to get it and figure it and manipulate it in the best way possible to get what I want. And so the application of this this portion of the story, I believe, is found in Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 8. The word of Scripture says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Church, let's not be like Rebecca this morning. Let's not trust in our own understanding because the ways of the Lord, the ways that he thinks, the ways that he does things is far greater and far higher than we could ever imagine. She trusted in herself. She leaned on her own understanding rather than going to the heart of the Lord, fearing him, falling at his feet and saying, Lord, I need your help. And then verses 14 through 25, again, more verses, I'm sorry. (laughs) We see that he's got a plan to defraud his father and to gain his brother's blessing. So he went and took them and brought to them uh, to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really uh, Esau or not. So Jacob went uh, near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brothers. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son, Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my uh, son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought his wine and drank. So now we have Jacob's sin highlighted here, showcased here. We've seen Isaac's sin. We've seen Esau's sin, Rebekah's, and now Jacob's. 
Jacob is uh, blatantly trying to pull a fast one on his father here. He invokes the name of God. He lies to him repeatedly and like his mother does not trust in the Lord to do what he says that he will do, which is to provide. There was enormous cost involved in what Rebecca and Jacob had did. I think one of the reasons you and I should not pursue the right goal by the wrong means is that one of God's key purposes for all of us, he wants to break us of our willfulness. I don't, I don't have to, to know you on a, on a very personal level to know that God wants us to trust in him and to not rely on our own selfish, sinful willfulness this morning. God loves you way too much to leave you in your sin. God loves you and knows you way too deeply to not break you of your own sinful willfulness in this life. And then the last three verses, and then we'll pray out. It's a glorious passage. I think here at the end of this passage, we see the triumph of of God and his control in their lives. It says, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you uh, the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. I don't know about you, but that passage right there to end the the, the catastrophe of of 1 through 25 kind of makes my heart just want to sing a little bit to see that the Lord, even in the midst of, of Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rebekah's sinfulness, the Lord was still so involved in what was going on and he blesses them and his plan is fulfilled in spite of Isaac's plan in spite of Rebecca and Jacob's wicked scheming and the same can be said about you and I today that even when we make terrible decisions and we pursue our own sinful actions God still loves us He's there to forgive us if we repent and turn to him and he will continue to seek and to bring about his redemptive purposes on earth. It's pretty simple this morning. This life is uh, challenging, it's hard, it's confusing. Things don't always go the way we had planned. We get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. We miss the mark. We aren't as involved as we should be. We aren't you know, as present as we ought to be. 
And yet God is there every time to pick us up. He knows you this morning. He loves you. And even if you feel like, man, I've done too much, I've made too many mistakes, I've done all the things the wrong way, I can't seem to ever get it right, I can't seem to just figure this life out, I can't seem to to just feel the love of God in my life, I always seem to be messing things up. And I would encourage you this morning to just stop striving. Embrace your brokenness and take it to the cross because that's where it all got put to death. The check didn't bounce on the cross. It's all future grace. And he knew that each and every one of us would come to a place in our lives where we had no, no, nothing else. Where, where else would we go, as the disciples said? Lord, if you're not here, what, what are we to do? Like, where are we to go? And he's, he's right here this morning, I believe, wanting us to trust him, wanting us to lean on him, wanting us to, to stop trying to figure out this life on our own. Get, get people around you. Build relationships. To do things that will bring the love of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven on earth in your own world, whether it's at work, whether it's places that you, you play or places that you do life, whatever it is. He's in control. He loves you. And he wants you to trust him this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the cross where all of our sin was paid for and all of the striving was done. And God, I pray that as we read Genesis 27 this morning, that we would pull away knowing that we need to trust in you. We need to follow you. And even when we mess up, God, your grace covers us. So Father, I, I pray for the rest of our morning. Would you speak to us? Would you move our hearts to you? It's in your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.